0: Welcome to King's Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about King's Church, visit kcnyc.org. Jumping into the Book of Romans, Romans chapter 7. This is a quote by Martin Luther, and I haven't read it in a, in a couple of months, so I'm going to read it again. Martin Luther said this. Actually, Martin Luther wrote this in his commentary, the prefer- preface to the Book of Romans. Uh, Martin Luther was on house arrest. If you remember, Luther started the Protestant Reformation. He said, you can't pay money to have sins forgiven. You guys are doing all kinds of crazy, lunatic stuff. And so they had this Protestant Reformation and they changed the face of the earth. And this is what he wrote in in the preface to the book of Romans. He said, this letter, Romans, is truly the most important piece in the New Testament. It is the purest gospel. It is well worth a Christian's while, not only to memorize it word for word, but to occupy it with, occupy himself with it daily, as though it were the daily bread of the soul. It is impossible to read or meditate on this letter too much or too well. The more one deals with it, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. And then you haven't heard this um, clause in that, in his intro, he said this, Romans is, it is in itself a bright light almost bright enough to illuminate the entire scripture. And what our man Martin Luther means by that is it gives us the frameworks, the framework to understand the gospel and this new covenant of grace that we're in, thereby understanding the Old Testament and the disparate parts of the New Testament that we don't get. So it's an interpretive lens that helps us figure out how Christian life is. Is that cool? I think it's cool. Okay, recap. Last week, chapter 7, we were talking about being married to the law and sin and death or being married to grace and God's goodness. And so I have three children. One of them is right here. Um, he has red hair. We don't know how that happened. We have two other blondies, and we're going to have a fourth in Jesus' name in the next year. That was, that's, that's prophecy. That's... <laughs> That's prophecy. That's <laughs> um, <laughs> prayer of faith. I remember somebody saw Goldie when she was two years old, and she said, oh, that is an Engelhart child. And it, she just, they just meant that child looks like the other children. Like, it doesn't look, people always say, like, I can't tell who Leon looks like. Like, does he look like dad or does he look like mom? I don't know. He's a red-haired freak, you know? (laughs) Solly, does he look like dad or does he look like mom? I can't tell. Goldie, does she look like dad? Well, if you're from Bethany's side of the family, you'll usually say it looks like mom. If you're from my side of the family, you'll usually say they look like dad. That's kind of how that goes, right? Parents know that. In the kingdom of heaven, if you're married to the spirit, what you produce is fruit that looks like the kingdom of heaven. This is how you know if you're married to the law and sin and death, is if the things that are produced in your life look like sin and death, you're married to the law and sin and death. Who do they look like? Whose family resemblance do they have? Because if the actions in our life are look like death and look like sin and look wrong, that means our primary life is hitched to the law and I'm hyper-focused on the law and I become self-critical and I'm critical towards every other person in my life. And then I have this insane hyper-awareness of all my faults, now all your faults, and what begins to be produced, what I'm married to is the law and it produces death in my life. And it's easy to tell It's easy to tell in all of the areas of my life, my finances. Am I married to God's spirit and to grace, or am I married to sin and death? If I'm spiraling in debt and I just got to get the new pair of Air Jordans, I don't even know if they make Air Jordans anymore, but I'm spiraling, they do. I'm spiraling in sin and debt, and I just have to make another purchase to satiate some need in my soul, and the fruit thereof is more pain and more chains and more bondage then I can know based upon the fruit who I'm married to in that area of my life. In relationships, in purity, in what I consume, all of those things I can tell by the fruit, by the little children that are running around in my life that look like me. (laughs) They look half like me and half like Bethany, and our decisions look half like us and half like hell sometimes because we married ourselves to hell. And sin and death. And then we say, okay, we're breaking that covenant and I'm entering this new covenant of life. And God, by your spirit, when I agree with your leading, when I'm obedient, when I submit myself, this is what Romans 7 ultimately is about. What kind of fruit we're producing in our spirit. Because remember, 6 was like, shall I sin that grace may abound? May it never be. And then 7 is like, but when you're married, you just produce what you're married to. That's the natural process. And here we are in seven, seven. so let me jump into this. What shall we say, then, is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was. So if you're reading Romans 7 and you're like, Paul says, I get married to the law and it produces death in me, then the law is bad. Clearly the case. The law is evil. That is the natural, logical consequence of the thought when reading this. And Paul says, that's not the correct chain of thought. So Okay, so the law showed up, and then it expanded and amplified all of the evil inside of me. Therefore, it must be an evil thing. And he says, no, 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 no. The law is righteous and good, but it's me that's evil. And the law amplified what was inside of me. Technology does that, actually. And if you know about technology, technology amplifies the tendency of a person or a people. You know, if I get a megaphone and I put it in front of my mouth, the megaphone amplifies the volume of my mouth, right? Technology can amplify your desire. Systems can do that. Systems can amplify, you know, the the, the, um, accuracy of your, whatever it is, your business or you're making dinner and you create systems and you have technology and it makes it more efficient and makes it easier to access, which is one of the challenges living in America in 2020 three, when we have all this stuff, it's like, God, how long is our culture going to exist in this kind of level of sin? I don't know. And part of the problem is technology amplifies our access to sin. Technology increases it. It gives us access to stuff that we wouldn't on our own have ever messed with, but it gives us access to it. And then, so it's not like, the technology is in and of itself evil. It's that when my desire is incorporated with it, it gets corrupted. And it's, it's interesting because it's, a lot of these things are simply tools. You know, we have a gun debate in our, in our society, are guns good or bad? They're just tools by themselves. They're just, it's just a tool. It's neither good nor bad. Unless it's put in the hand of an evil person, then it can do lots of evil, right? In the, in the hand of a good person, it can do righteousness, it can protect against evil. Even life itself. Bizarrely, is a tool given by God to us, and if we get too much of it, we'll destroy everything. Do you know that? I wrote in, uh, in my book, maybe not, maybe I just wrote it in my mind now that I think about this. <laughs> I was talking about a heart doctor. It's like, well, a heart doctor's good, for sure. Everything they do is good. But what if they're saving a child murderer? Well, then that's bad, because you just extended the life of an evil person. These are tools. Life even is a tool. Genesis chapter 2, it says this. Excuse me, Genesis chapter 3. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like us, knowing good from evil. He must not be allowed to reach out to his hand and take from the tree of life and eat forever. He can't eat and live forever. Genesis 3.22. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground which he had been taken, etc., etc. Why didn't God want man to live forever? Because man in the state of evil, passing HB 26792 in Connecticut, with unlimited life and unlimited power, is going to do unlimited evil. Right? So God diminishes the life of mankind so that evil will be diminished as well. And so Paul is saying here, he's saying the law is not in and itself an evil, but when we grabbed a hold of it, the sin nature in ourselves magnified it. Verse 7. What shall we say then is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. So let me just say this, when a spirit-filled believer looks at the law and reads the law, he uses the law as a wise counselor or guide. When someone who's not regenerate, not filled with the Spirit, not saved, sees the law, it becomes this draconian construct that's slammed upon their being, and they're hyper-concerned, and they become hyper-religious, and they're super-judgmental. That's a sign of not being filled with the Spirit. Is the law sinful? Certainly not, verse 7. I would not have known what sin was had I not known the law, for I... Would excuse me for I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had said had not said you shall not covet but sin seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment produced in me every kind of coveting and apart from the law sin was dead uh, All the commentary says the word here really means sin was magnified or expounded in when it when the law came to me and this is really easy let's look at this really great example Paul Paul talks about coveting it's like all of a sudden I found out that I shouldn't covet, and I was kind of maybe coveting a little bit, but then I found out I'm definitely not supposed to, and now I'm thinking about all the times I'm coveting, and it's like this crazy cyclical action that makes me covet more, because all I'm thinking about is coveting all the time. Have you ever heard of the example, don't think of a pink elephant, have you ever heard of that? Raise your hand if you've heard of that, because I think I only heard about it in my 20s, and it's, it's important. When you're trying to overcome sin or temptation and you focus, your primary focus is on the sin or temptation, you usually crash into the sin or temptation. Leon and I, I told you a couple of weeks ago, we're driving the car together illegally. Um, he was driving the car and I kept saying to him, look down at the end of the road. Don't look at the, the guardrail or we're going to drive into the guardrail, right? Look down towards the end of the road. I remember driving the first time I learned how to drive. I, ca- I said to my instructor, how do I stay in the middle of the lane? Because I keep kind of like, I'm looking right where my car is and I'm doing this whole thing all the time. And she said, David, look as far down the road as you can and focus there and you'll just kind of smooth out. And Paul is saying that when we're hyper-focused on our sin and our actions, it magnifies them and makes it more likely for us to crash. The pink elephant example is simply this. Someone says to you, don't imagine a pink elephant right now. Now! And what pops in your head? You know? The Oompa Loompa from winning the Pooh's LSD trip. Right? That's in your mind. (laughs) Because when I tell you Don't do X, Y, Z, and you're hyper-focused on it. You just do X, Y, Z. And Paul is saying, if you're married, remember, this is in the construct of bearing fruit in marriage. This is chapter 7. If you're married to and bearing fruit in the Spirit, you'll produce life. But if you're ultra-concerned with, ultra-focused like on all of these elements of the law, it's more likely that you just will break the law over and over and over again. And that's generally why religious people are so judgmental. They're hyper-focused on the law. They're hyper-critical of themselves. And it creates criti- criticism uh, in relationship to every single person around them. And then you just, you're not, you don't have time to fr- produce the fruit of the spirit. You're hyper-focused on whether you're doing each individual action right. And, and even, in our, even in our strength, even in our trying to do actions, we don't do them right. Or we do them right in action and wrong in heart. And that's marriage to the law. Verse 14 is this really important um, scripture. Verse 14 is 14 through 26, 27. This is one of the most controversial portions of scripture in the whole Bible, especially in regards to interpretation. People interpret it generally two primarily different ways. Scholars, interpret it way B, which I'll explain to you in a second. uh, And lay people, people that are just kind of picking up the Bible and reading it, they interpret this in the first way, way A. Let me read it real quick so you get the context. Verse 14, it starts out like this. We know that the law is spiritual. Paul just said it's good. It's from God. It's not bad. He said, he goes on and he says, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. And I'm going to read this in a second, but this is this monologue where Paul's like, I don't, I don't do what I want to do. You know, this wretched man inside of me, who will save me from this body of sin and death? We're familiar with this portion of scripture, very famous. You under, I, this is the door that gets us to this portion of scripture. It says this, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. Let me ask you a question. As a believer, are you a slave to sin? As a, thank you. As a believer, have you been sold as a slave to sin? No, in fact, you've been set free from Egypt and slavery into righteousness in Christ. Okay, as a believer, are you unspiritual? No, 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 no. As a matter of fact, when you come to Christ, your spirit is what is born again. That's what Jesus talks to Nicodemus about in John chapter 3. He's like, I don't understand this. Born again? What are you talking about? I'm going to climb back into my mom. Jesus, you're gross. How could you be so gross? And Jesus is like, not in the flesh, in the spirit. Your spirit is born. It becomes alive, and you have new senses and new desires. This is what happens when you come to Christ. So verse 14 begins the doorway into this portion of Scripture. That says, I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. So the context of the Scripture, we're talking about marriage in chapter 7, being married to the law or being married to grace. Paul's going to explain what it's like to be married to the law. This is the perspective of essentially every scholar and teacher on the book of Romans in this second half. Mostly every lay person believes that it's talking about their life in Christ, that in Christ, I'm constantly pulled two ways. I am spiritual, sold as a slave to sin, 714, but we just said in chapter 6, verse 18, chapter 6, verse 2, chapter 6, verse 6, and chapter 6, verse 14, you have been set free from sin, and then it says this in 23, I made a prisoner of the law of sin, but in 8.2, we're going to say, through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit has set me free from the law of sin and death. The context, the introduction to a piece gives you the interpretive lens by which to read that piece. And so let's read it. I don't understand what to do, for I don't do what I want to, but what I hate to do. And if I do what I don't want to, I agree that the law is good as it is. It's no longer I myself who do it, but sin which lives in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want to, but the evil I don't want to, I keep doing. Now, if I do what I want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this is at work. Where is it at work? It's at work in my carnal, fleshly, unregenerate nature. I find this at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. This is a really incredible portion of scripture. Though I want to do what's good, evil is right there with me. Though I'm being saved, I'm being redeemed, I've given myself to Jesus, my spirit is married to him, There's still a flesh that I walk around with that's right next to me all the time. For my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner, the law of sin working within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body subject to death? Again, Paul talks about what? Who will rescue me from this body, not who will rescue me from this spirit, who will rescue me from this corporal nature. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. And that's why we as believers, when we take a look at a scripture like this, we don't just say, oh, I I love Jesus. I'd never sin. Like, of course, that's ridiculous. This is insane. But my spirit man that is married to the spirit that's alive in the spirit, when I'm led by the spirit man, it produces life and peace and righteousness and hope. And when I submit to my nature of the flesh, it produces death and slavery and the schizophrenia of Romans chapter seven, which is why Paul is talking about marriage. Marriage is walking in daily life with another person. It's interacting regularly with another person. Do you know there are married people that commit adultery all the time? I was talking to a pastor, um, I think it was Thursday, Thursday morning, and he went to this, it was like... uh, the pastor's divorce session. You're about to get divorced and you're a pastor. They fly you out to the secret headquarters. Uh, You haven't told your church about it. And he was talking to me about the different couples that were there. And he said, this one pastor, he had eight affairs and his wife was carrying all the STDs of his partners. We're called to be married to Christ and walk with him daily but when we walk with our carnal nature and are led by our carnal nature, we bring sickness and disease into our life. It doesn't break the marriage because God is faithful. Now, if you obviously don't, turn, if, you, if you continue in your sin and you don't turn away, it can do that. Um, but Paul is talking about the context of producing fruit in a marital relationship. The second way produces death, disease, Schizophrenia and pain, the first way produces life and righteousness. There are three states of salvation. When I learned this, this really helped that conflict inside of me. Uh, God, am I saved? Am I not saved? I have this impulse to (laughs) punch taxi drivers all the time, and I don't think that's of you. And does that make me not saved? Does that make me unregenerate? Does that mean I'm, like, when I read about the spirit stuff, it's like these people have faith and they're living in peace. And, like, I'm, I have peace for five minutes in the morning before anyone wakes up. <laughs> <laughs> or I may go 90% of the day rocking it, rocking it for the Lord. i got worship on 90% of the day. And I'm like, I'm actually saved. And then the 91% part, I almost throw my child out of the window to his death. And the Lord's like, eh, maybe not, you know? Let's work on you some more. This is the walk of the believer. This is step one, Titus 3. When we come to Christ, we were saved, okay? Chapter three, verse three. At one time we were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved. We lived in malice and envy, hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of our righteousness, but because of his mercy. He saved us, so we were saved. But oh, guess what we find out in 2 Corinthians? We are also being saved. But thanks be to God, who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are God's pleasing aroma in Christ among those who are being saved. God, I need to be saved more today. God, I need to be saved more this week. God, let me help lead Christians to be more saved in our lives. Amen. Worship team, you can come up. I have one more point here. And then finally, Romans 5.10. So we were saved, we're being saved, and like Tim Keller is, we will be saved. Romans 5.10, for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved ultimately Through his life. In Matthew 25, Jesus talks about the sheep and the goats, the parable of the sheep and the goats. And at the end of that parable, he says, And the goats will go to everlasting destruction and damnation, and the sheep will go to everlasting life. We're saved, or being saved will be saved. Goats are known for independence. Goats are known for curiosity. Goats are known for not needing to be a part of a herd. Goats are known for their aggressiveness, their cleverness. Goats are known for curiosity. Sheep are known for vulnerability, for dependence, not independence for being of a gentle nature and not aggressive. For being submitted to a shepherd and not living life on their own. God, that we would be saved. God, that we would be sheep and not goats. Lord, that we wouldn't stand independent against your way. That we wouldn't have to try out something new, God. God, that we would need your shepherding in humility and grace, in vulnerability, Lord. That we would be dependent upon you, Jesus, our good shepherd. And in our dependence, we would produce fruit of life and righteousness and goodness and peace and joy. Amen, church. Why don't you stand with me? Hey, thanks for listening to today's podcast. Acts 20, 27 says, For I have not hesitated to proclaim the whole council. Of God. And that's something that we're trying to do at King's Church. We're trying to steward God's word and share it to a generation. If you want to partner in us sharing the whole counsel of God's truth, please text KCNYC to 77977 and partner with us here at King's Church to get God's message, his whole counsel, all over the place on podcasts and on radio and around the world. So believers like you would be encouraged. Thanks.